This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 27, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The American Health Care Act was pulled from consideration last week in the House, so Obamacare remains the law of the land. What should Congress be focused on, and what does health insurance look like in the coming years without repeal? Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, explains. For seven years, Republicans have been promising that they would repeal and replace Obamacare. And this has become an article of faith, a tenet adopted by every elected official on the federal level. They've all promised that they would do this. They uh, won elections in 2010 and 2014 and 2016 on this promise. And when it came time to put together legislation to deliver on that promise, the House leadership uh, decided they would not. They decided that they would uh, repeal only parts of Obamacare retain major portions of the law, however, uh, including its most significant portions. And even when they purported to repeal things like the Obamacare Medicaid expansion, that was really repeal and name only. The dynamics that this bill would have set in motion would have prevented the Medicaid expansion from ever going away. And so, a lot of Conservatives were upset about this, and they took their concerns to the leadership uh, and they and to the White House. And there were all these negotiations, and finally, the conservatives said, "We're we, we can't vote for this." Uh, and the uh, Trump administration and the House leadership decided to cancel a scheduled vote on the House leadership's bill. And now there's some question about what's what's going to happen next. Have Republicans given up on repealing Obamacare? Are they going to work with Democrats instead of with conservative Republicans to try to fix the law? And I think that uh, reports of the death of uh, the Obamacare repeal effort have been greatly exaggerated for a number of reasons. One of them is that Obamacare is continuing to implode. This exodus of insurance companies from the individual market have left almost 3 million people who are enrolled in the Obamacare exchanges with only one insurance company in the exchange. That means that if even just one insurance company leaves, I mean, if the, if the last one leaves, then hundreds of thousands, millions of people could be left with no coverage. And this has already happened in East Tennessee. There are 43 million exchange enrollees who have no health plan options for next year because the last carrier in that exchange has called it quits. And so we're talking about people with very expensive illnesses, people who had coverage before Obamacare, and Obamacare has now destroyed their coverage. If that sort of contagion spreads, then that's going to put a lot of pressure on Congress to do something. And so they can't just abandon the field. The way this is being discussed, it's almost as if whatever now happens with Obamacare somehow lies at the feet of Republicans who are trying to repeal it and did not succeed. It's this truly bizarre narrative has taken over that, of course, Paul Ryan catering to the moderates in his party and appealing to this non-ideological president, they were carrying the banner of repeal and replace. Um, and, uh, and, and, and when, in fact, it was this conservative faction in the House, the House Freedom Caucus, that was saying, wait a second, you're not keeping your promises. And, they, and, they, uh, and the leadership tried to get the uh, House Freedom Caucus to abandon their promise to repeal and replace Obamacare. And um, it worked a little, actually. They agreed to go along with keeping Obamacare's tax credits, but giving, putting a Republican spin on them. They agreed to go along with uh, the non-repeal of Obamacare's Medicaid expansion, 
But they drew the line at Obamacare's regulations. They said these are the things that are driving up premiums for everybody in the exchanges. We want and creating all that instability that I mentioned before, and we want these things gone. And the president said no, and so the president did not get a bill. And uh, and and it was really the, uh, the the House Freedom Caucus that kept Republicans not only from totally abandoning their promise to repeal Obamacare, but also from shooting themselves in the foot because if the Ryan bill had passed, then all the instability would still be there in the exchanges. People would still still be losing their plans. Insurers would still leave the exchanges, leaving people with no coverage. The coverage would get worse. Premiums would get higher, and Republicans would be blamed for that instead of Democrats. So by insisting on repealing the regulations and refusing to vote for the bill because the uh, the Trump administration and the House leadership refused, the House Freedom Caucus kept. Republicans from being blamed for Obamacare's failures. And a lot of conservatives are upset with the House Freedom Caucus members because this bill would have, at least on paper, cut a trillion dollars worth of spending, a trillion dollars worth of taxes. But because it got the health policy wrong, because there would be all that instability in the individual market still, because the Medicaid expansion would not go away, those presumed spending cuts would would not materialize. And there would be pressure for more spending to bail out the insurance companies in the exchanges. And that additional spending would create pressure for more taxes and create voters who would vote for more spending and higher taxes. So, really, the anti-tax conservatives in the Republican Party may never know the favor that the Freedom Caucus did them. So, what should Congress let's let's say that repeal is uh, a bridge too far. What reforms should they be adopting right now to at least allow people some measure of choice in their in securing private health insurance? Well, I don't know if repeal is a is a measure too far. We don't know that yet. Uh, presumably, Paul Ryan put together the the uh, repeal in name only package that he did, or what I call the Obamacare Preservation Act because he was counting votes and realized that a lot of moderates are abandoning their pledge to repeal Obamacare. And uh, he couldn't count on their votes for a full repeal, and so he put together a package that would cater to them. I don't think that's the right approach if you're... um, if. It seems to me that if the entire party has been campaigning on this issue for seven years, then instead of catering to the people who are breaking their promises, they should the leadership should be catering to the people who want to keep that promise, and then leaning on those who who now don't want to keep that promise. And one way to do that is there's a bill that the House and Senate sent to President Obama last year that repealed. Uh, not all of Obamacare, but more of it than this bill would have. It seems they could bring that up for a vote. And if the if there are people who uh, flip flop, who voted for it last year and against it this year, well, then they could lean on those people to ask them why they've changed their position, make it difficult for them to to flip flop, and and then see how much repeal they can get by uh, trying to keep their promise and leaning on the members of Congress who are trying to break their promises. It's, it's interesting that there are so many uh, Republicans who had promised to repeal Obamacare, and once they have a president who is likely to sign whatever lands on his desk, decide to present to him a piece of legislation that did a lot less than 
legislation passed last year, the year before that, and the year before that. That's right. I mean, uh, President Trump is certainly not particularly ideological about health care or anything else. And so, if it seems that Republicans should be focusing on whatever, you know, what is the most they can get through both chambers of Congress, because then President Trump is going to sign it. I, I can't see a, a situation where they put a, a health care bill on his desk and he vetoes it, refusing to, uh, to claim that victory. And so, uh, when President Trump says, as he apparently said to uh, conservatives in the House, that he does not want to repeal those regulations because that would be breaking his campaign promise to protect people with pre-existing conditions. I think they should ignore that because number one, there's there's a hundred billion dollars of spending, new spending in the in the House leadership bill for high-risk pools, which more than keeps the president's promise to help people with pre-existing conditions. If you'll recall, Obamacare had a high-risk pool program. It was a temporary one. It uh, uh, it was supposed to last four years, and they uh, allotted five billion dollars for that. Now, this is uh, the House leadership bill allotted twenty times that much over ten years, but still, even that small program, uh, the the Obamacare's five billion dollar high risk pool, couldn't meet their enrollment projections because they just couldn't find that many people with pre existing conditions to enroll. And so, the the amount of money that the House Republican leadership has set aside for their high-risk pool is more than adequate. It more than keeps the president's promise. Uh, and so, I think that if Congress does repeal the health insurance regulations, particularly the supposed ban on discrimination against people with pre-existing conditions, and send that to the president's desk, I think he'll sign it. So, what does health insurance look like a few years from now, if, if everything continues as it has been for people who are getting their health insurance? From an employer or people who have to go out into the individual market. In the employer market, there's going to be this slow erosion of coverage that we've seen over the years. Some of that is um, is probably beneficial. Uh, some of it is not. The beneficial part is employer-sponsored coverage has gotten less comprehensive. People are having to. Uh, are, employer plans have higher cost sharing, higher deductibles, more co-insurance, more higher co-payments. Uh, and that's probably uh, a welcome development because the tax preference for employer-sponsored insurance encourages overly comprehensive plans, plans that uh, provide consumers with more coverage than they would want if they were spending their own money, and that leads them to consume more medical care than they would otherwise and uh, pushes prices higher than it, they would be otherwise. So, if you're talking, if, if there is an erosion in coverage that makes coverage less comprehensive so that consumers are facing more of the cost of the medical care that they consume, uh, they're paying for more of it out of pocket, that's probably a good thing. Now, there's also been an erosion of coverage in that uh, fewer and fewer employers are offering coverage and fewer workers are getting coverage through an employer. To the extent that is employers dropping coverage and leaving people with pre-existing conditions high and dry, that's a very troubling development, but it's not something that you can really fix by shoring up employer-sponsored insurance. Leaving people with uninsurable pre-existing conditions is what employer-sponsored insurance does. In fact, we probably shouldn't even call it insurance, because it does not provide secure access to care for people once they get a pre, a, an expensive medical condition. The only way to fix that is by leveling the playing field, uh, eliminating the 
tax preference for employer-sponsored insurance and giving people their own earnings so that they can take that money, buy insurance directly from an insurance company, portable insurance that doesn't disappear when they change jobs or a divorce or a spouse dies or the plant closes. And that will dramatically reduce this problem of, pre- of uninsurable pre-existing conditions because more conditions will be insured with portable, seamless coverage. And so, uh, if things keep going as they are, we're going to see that slow erosion in coverage uh, where, where people with expensive conditions lose their coverage, and it's not going to fix the problem of pre-existing conditions. In the individual market, we'll probably see an even faster erosion of coverage where more and more insurers leave the market, leaving people with no coverage options at all. And the only solution to that is to uh, well, I suppose Obamacare supporters will say the solution to that is to throw even more money at the problem. Uh, the one of the aims of Obamacare was supposed to be to reduce spending on health care. So it's a little ironic that their uh, supporters' solution to that problem will be to throw more money at health care. But ultimately, the only surefire way to fix that problem is to repeal all of Obamacare's health insurance regulations, allow the the market to gain some stability, allow consumers to have the security of uh, stable health insurance coverage. And if Congress then wants to subsidize people with pre-existing conditions who cannot afford coverage uh, or or the care that they need, it can do so in a way that does not disrupt the good that private markets can do, that, that, that the individual market can do. And if Congress levels the playing field between the employer market and the individual market, that market will, uh, that market will grow and be able to provide even more secure coverage to even more people. President Trump has, uh, if you read his book, as expected, walked away from, I'm going to fight for this, and if I can't get this vote, I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to concern myself with this matter anymore. What, if he wanted to, could he do to bring everybody back to the table to get something that is more substantial? Well, I think the president does want uh, to keep negotiating with Congress. He does want a health care bill, and he can really force Congress. He can force their hand. He can force them back to the bargaining table by ending the illegal bailouts that the Obama administration put in place to prop up Obamacare. And there are three main ones. Uh, One of them we call the cost-sharing subsidy bailout. There, President Trump has a court order telling him to end those illegal subsidies. Um, On another one of the insurer bailouts, the president has a, a GAO report saying these subsidies are illegal, or this diversion of funds from the Treasury to these insurance companies is illegal. So, he has a GAO report telling him that this is illegal, and and he can and should end that bailout. And finally, but perhaps most important, the Obama administration gave Congress an illegal bailout or an illegal exemption from Obamacare by declaring Congress to be a small business so that they could participate in Obamacare's small business exchange and keep getting what we call the uh, the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program premium contribution. Uh, the, there's no provision of federal law that allows uh, the Treasury to contribute $12,000 to the health insurance, to the Obamacare premiums of every member of Congress. And yet, the Obama administration did that. It was unlawful. President Trump can end those premium contributions. And when members of Congress have to start paying for 
an additional $12,000 of their health premium out of pocket. And when their staffs have to pay for that $12,000 of their health insurance premiums out of pocket, well, when you affect members of Congress personally that way, when you take away something that they have been receiving from one of these bailouts, then that is going to motivate a lot of members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, to pass some sort of health care bill that reinstates their effective pay cut, the pay cut that Obamacare delivered to them. And if uh, and the president may be interested to know that if he takes away Congress's Obamacare exemption, and forces them to the table so that he gets a health care bill, that health care bill might reinstate that premium contribution for members of Congress. But remember, there's a constitutional amendment that says that no increase in congressional pay can take effect until after an intervening election. So if President Trump does this to get a health care bill, not only does he get a health care bill, he gets a congressional pay raise on the ballot in 2018, and he can run against, and that'll drive most likely that'll drive Republicans to the polls in 2018, uh, which will uh, help his party's prospects. So, uh, yanking Congress's Obamacare exemption is really a win-win-win for the Trump administration. Michael Cannon is director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.